Hello and welcome to the Film Comet Podcast. My name is Violet Luca and I'm the digital producer. The only thing more reliable than the debates surrounding each new Terrence Malick film is how reductive they are. Is he an experimental genius of lyricism? Or is he just a self-indulgent has-been? For the release of Malick's latest film, Song to Song, we brought together critics Nick Pinkerton and Shawnee Enelo, author of Method Acting and Its Discontents on American Psychodrama and professor at Fordham University for a proper discussion of his strengths and weaknesses and whether his themes will deliver you or dismay you. It all turns into a discussion about how different viewers approach art from different angles. Here's the conversation. So today we're going to be talking about a man, a certain man, uh, <laughs> who and I, I was thinking about this earlier today and I am going to try and draw this parallel. So Terrence Malick is somebody who has a career that's been sort of like Valerian Borovchik's, where Valerian Borovchik directed Blanche, his first feature film. It was a huge splash at Cannes. It was sort of obeyed all of the laws of what a European art house film should look like. It was very beautiful. And then he started to do his own thing. And if you look at Blanche and compare it to something like Behind Covent Walls, uh, there are all these nuns running around ready to get fucked. It's completely different aesthetically. And he just really pursued what he wanted to pursue after a certain point in his career, did not give a damn. And Terrence Malick has sort of done the same thing, except for, uh, I don't know what we can call what he's doing anything at all. Since the Tree of Life, or I mean, even before then, like uh, they, like when he sort of returned to filmmaking after a long hiatus, he just, he started doing his own thing, really injecting a lot of experimentation into narrative and really pushing it further and further and further. And now uh, with Song to Song, I don't know, what do we have? Well, I would say a lot of that is already there in Days of Heaven. Sure. Which famously is a movie that was found in the shooting and in the editing. A movie that was made in a way that movies aren't meant to be. Uh, you know, you're supposed to go in with your drum tight script. But I was thinking about this earlier today. Terrence Malick is somebody who's been very important to me as a filmmaker since I really was getting my sea legs as a movie watcher. And today, actually earlier today, I uh, saw Song to Song with the usual trepidation that goes with seeing a film by somebody whose body of work is very important to you, thinking like, eh, are they going to let me down? Are they going to turf out on this one? Is this going to be the one that sort of breaks the streak? But I had the thought, I think even if I didn't respond on some level to Terrence Malick's films, even if I didn't like the work or even if the work didn't move me, I think I would still sort of take pleasure in the existence of them precisely because of the fact that he so does not give a fuck at all. See, that's me. <laughs> I appreciate they exist, but I don't, I can't get into them. But maybe, Shawnee, we were talking before we recorded, and maybe we could get into why it's sort of a stumbling block, at least for us. Oh, yeah. Well, as as I, I mentioned this to Nick earlier, we actually watched Song to Song together uh, mm -hmm. unexpectedly this morning. 
I was saying I very I was very nervous about this podcast because I just have this feeling that conversations about Malik can get kind of ugly because sure. people feel so strongly, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of people whose views on film I really respect adore Malik and think that I, I kind of get the sense that not to say that I've gotten the sense from you, Nick, but I do sometimes get this feeling that to be an enemy of Malik in some of these you know very respectable film critics' eyes is to be an enemy of art mm-hmm. and. So I would not say I'm an enemy. I'm not an enemy. But I have a lot of problems with the films after Tree of Life and including Tree of Life. Um, But especially to The Wonder and Mm -hmm. Night of Cups, I went into Song to Song really expecting to hate it. And I have to say I was actually... I'm not sure pleasantly surprised is the right phrase, but I found there was more for me there than there had been in some of the others. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was more interested in some of the choices and I was more, I was certainly more interested in the performances and I was in general more, uh, more receptive to what was going on. I mean, in song to song, in song to song. That's interesting. Yeah, I know. I know. Because my tolerance. Yeah. So I really love Tree of Life. And then To the Wonder really rubbed me the wrong way. And then I tried to, like, I like parts of Night of Cups. And then Song to Song feels like a weird remake of Night of Cups, Mm. but by far worse. It's funny because I saw it at, I also saw it at Landmark Sunshine. This podcast is not sponsored by (laughs) Landmark Sunshine. However, if someone there is listening and would like to take this opportunity, please email me. Uh, It just like made me carsick Mm. I had just like creeping feeling of illness and then also like just not enjoying any part of it and thinking back on all this stuff that I had seen before that I liked so much more that I just it kind of became it was kind of unbearable Mm. but again it's like I thought Michael Fassbender was great maybe let's back up a second actually let's back up a second let's run down what these movies are about Oh, let's, let's, so what is so I, what are we just gonna take t- one <laughs> should we perhaps just concentrate on song to song i like that you you I called know. it song of songs yeah. that's sort of apt yeah really it, yeah that's actually a better time i agree that's a better time <laughs> well i was i mean i was disappointed in that this breaks the streak of malik films that whose titles sound like choose your own adventure books <laughs> night of cups Voyage of Time, You Are a Shark, his forthcoming film. Uh, I I mean, I was saying earlier, there does seem to be, whereas there's a notable progression or regression, depending on your viewpoint, from really beginning with Tree of Life, where something demonstrably different is happening in each one of the films, Tree of Life being the first film to sort of look at a contemporary world, however briefly, to the wonder to be completely in a contemporary milieu, Mm -hmm. Knight of Cups sort of bringing the fractious prismatic style of To the Wonder further still, Voyage of Time being a completely gonzo out there life the universe and everything sort of project loved it (laughs) and and i did have something of the same feeling that you did violet that there is kind of a plateau reached between night of cups and song to song both of which are movies that i have a lot of time for Mm -hmm. but i definitely did not see that step forward backwards sideways (laughs) whatever it is 
should we talk a little bit about the actual narrative material such as it is well you have basically a love triangle of sorts you have Rooney Mara Mm -hmm. and Ryan Gosling as gigging Austin area musicians and you have Michael Fassbender as this sort of gatekeeper producer glad hander lucifer lucifer if (laughs) you prefer i mean in a way it's not that different from the triangle and days of heaven like brooke adams Mm -hmm. and richard Gere as the sort of day laborers and the landowner Mm -hmm. um played by sam shepherd and there is a relationship between the rooney mara character and simultaneously she is cavorting with both the Fassbender character and the Ryan Gosling character. And then they sort of spin off onto their individual narratives, each pursuing different relationships. We not atypically get glimpses into their head spaces. Mm-hmm. I would say we hear much more from Rooney Mara than we do from anyone else. Mm-hmm. And in as much as there's an identification character here, it is her Not unlike uh, Knight of Cups, we're looking at the ostensible subject is an entertainment industry, in this case, the music industry and the live music industry around Austin. One thing that I find very interesting is that as Malik has gotten more contemporary, as the films have been more and more couched in the contemporary world, he's simultaneously gotten more antique more medieval more prehistoric even (laughs) and there's a music cue very early on which i think kind of unlocks what the movie is doing when you when when the loot drops for the first time (laughs) and Mm -hmm. you have to think this is not i mean this is indeed a movie about gigging musicians around austin texas in 2012 or whenever the majority of the material was shot Mm -hmm. it is also drawing a parallel between this situation and the situation of basically court musicians <laughs> like mm-hmm. that yeah. that is where it is coming from and that is to me sort of brilliant <laughs> sorry to this is a little bit unfair but why is that brilliant like what like what is what do you think is is interesting about drawing a parallel between you know mundane contemporary situation and a medieval well era? i mean I think that it can be entirely interesting to pursue what is it like to be on the tatty fringes okay. of being a working musician. If I want to watch mm-hmm. that movie, I can watch Olivier Assayas' Clean. That movie already exists. However, I've not seen anything that plugs this very specific contemporary milieu into this larger cosmology of ideas. Yeah. Yeah, this is sort of one of the things that I have trouble with is that I often end up feeling like that kind of plugging, right, which sort of starts with Tree of Life, I guess, and in in all the later movies in different ways, to me, speaks to a kind of abstraction, an idealism, right, where figures are sort of abstracted from their, you know, material surroundings and historical specificity and put into this kind of uh, mythic landscape, Right, which I understand that is what he's doing. And, you know, as an ideological gesture, as a as a as an artistic move, you know, I find that pretty problematic. And in what regard? So ideologically, I I feel like moving to abstraction flattens out 
everything that I think is interesting about the world, like the specificity of character and place and time and situation. And artistically, I find it a little bit cheap actually like i find it a little bit like lazy but there's such a there's such a plenitude of specificity in other places i mean in terms of actual sort of tactile experience of the world there's a absolute bounty of that specificity so i mean admittedly but it is, is there... emptied out in places. But I mean, what? But yeah. what is? Uh, I mean, I don't mean to sort of like dogpile on you, but like, what no, I mean, is that? But what is that? And I'm thinking. I, I mean, mean like, in terms of because yeah. that was of... my problem with to, to the Wonder, where I just like I walked out and I was like, there are no fucking characters in this thing. Like, on like a conceptual level, I think that's awesome. I'm like, oh, somebody did did a narrative without characters. That's really fucking interesting. And then to actually watch it is kind of excruciating. Yeah. I mean, in terms of specificity, I can tell you that I have a familiarity with the physical forms of Michael Fassbender, Rooney Mara, and a number of other people that I previously did not. I understand how those people exist in a space in a way that I did not say four hours ago. Sure. And that to me is specificity what is that if not that's really interesting i mean i I think this sort of actually even though this is you know we're we're like getting into it really quickly i think (laughs) i think this is sort of the crux of to me what's interesting about the debates around these films is is there are different definitions of abstraction and and specificity Mm -hmm. and you know things like character and and depth right Mm -hmm. really Mm -hmm. different definitions of depth that we're Mm -hmm. working with and so to me it's like that feels very superficial Mm -hmm. right the attention to i mean to bring up another obvious issue, you know, all the attention to women's asses in the frame, you know, (laughs) and like the form of bodies, right, Mm -hmm. often feels to me very just shallow, just like pure shallowness. But I understand that to others, that actually seems fascinating and rich and complex and, and like a cinematic gesture that means something. Whereas to me, it doesn't have that resonance. Right. Because I'm going to say that I could never write a thesis on modern dance, but I have a concept of like what basically like what the women in these films are doing right they're trying like as you say they're sort of trying to fill space there's they're they're using their bodies to express things and it feels there's something like not fresh about the way that they're moving to me but again i'm not i'm i have a familiarity i'm not an expert and so like seeing olga kurlineko into the wonder sort of like dancing around and blowing into a washing machine tube as like a playful gesture i'm like that's not interesting to me. I think right. that's kind of facile. And I, I, I mean, I must say, my experience in watching Song to Song, I, I had this thought, like, at a certain point, and this always happens. Like, there's a certain gee whiz factor, sure, to Malik for me, mm-hmm. where to a certain degree, these films are just catalogs of things. And at a certain mm-hmm. point, I am very much somebody who is apt to going, gee whiz, hot air balloons are a thing. How about that? <laughs> I mean, I have that feeling. Like, I was like, darn I was like it. he included that. Like that's you, but that's where the wonder begins and ends for me. I'm like, and, he included that. Like and, Michael Fassbender acting like a monkey. And at, <laughs> and at much at the same time, while watching 
particularly this film, I thought to myself, my God, you can do a lot of different things with your body. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's interesting. I often, yeah, it's so, interesting. You, like, I'm, most of the time, I'm just walking around, <laughs> sitting down, <laughs> like, occasionally, Sweetie. like, moving on an elliptical machine <laughs> in order to keep from going into total catabolism. It's like, what an extraordinary, like, Swiss army knife tool the human body is. Yeah. And I, I mean, I must say that like very base level, like G Willikers yeah. aspect of things Shh. tends to tends to suck me in. But Shawnee, you could probably speak to this better. What irks me about Song to Song in particular is that, OK, so we have Michael Fassbender, who is, I think, good actor, but he gets to play evil and evil is so much more interesting than good which is symbolized by Ryan Gosling. And it's clear that they're just kind of going. The camera turns on and they just have to go. And what Michael Fassbender does is like so much funnier, smarter, better in every respect than what Ryan Gosling does. And I mean, to a certain extent, sure, maybe that's what evil is. Evil is something yeah. entertaining. Yeah. But you have to spend a lot of time with good Ryan Gosling. And like what he says is like so dumb. It's just dumb to me like when he well, like when he's when he's doing like the romantic stuff like drawing on her with lipstick and he's like x marks the spot and i'm like how old are you it's so well, stupid i mean that's like yeah. the that's often i mean and that's certainly how i felt in to the wonder which actually yes. felt like really appalling to me that it was this woman child like <laughs> bizarre thing but in this case i almost felt like maybe it was because of the everything that Ryan Gosling brings to him as a star, which yeah. of, I don't think Malik was intending at all, but there was some self-consciousness there, I felt like, in that in that performance of the romantic hero. And also, I felt like, in contrast again to To the Wonder, Rooney Mara is such an intrinsically, to me, much more interesting performer and, and actor and has a much more interesting face yeah. um, than really, I mean, it, to my mind, any of the women in contemporary Malik films. So so to me, when she was doing this kind of childlike, playful stuff, it actually started to feel, especially as the movie developed, like it was this kind of pathetic thing. Like she was this sort of, you know, stunted person who couldn't yeah. get beyond that and was so was performing joy for these men, even though she, you know, clearly was feeling something different. So I felt like in this movie, in contrast, there was a kind of, there was a tension to that characterization yeah. that I found, that I thought was striking. I mean, much more so with, with Rooney Mara than with Ryan Gosling, but even with Ryan Gosling, because of the joke about him being the romantic hero, I was like, oh, this is kind of funny. Yes, of course, Ryan Gosling as a romantic hero, being the romantic hero you know doing these cliched things like there was a it had sort of an intrinsic irony <laughs> to me that yeah. I found kind of compelling well I want to I want to talk a little bit about this idea of there being a good versus evil dichotomy at work in the film because though I don't think that that's entirely off base I think that the way Malik thinks about these things is not quite so cut and dry oh no i agree i totally agree i always find it helpful when thinking about malik to bring murnau into the conversation and if if for no other reason because i think in terms of sort of gestural camera work they speak to one another a great deal and i think it's worth just bringing Sunrise into the conversation mm. because 
in terms of a kind of moral cosmology, the way that, at least in the last three narrative films, Malik has thought about good and evil sort of explodes that basic, a very simplistic dichotomy. I think about it in terms of in Sunrise, we have the counterpoised idea of the city and the country. Mm-hmm. Very important preoccupations for Malik, and certainly that's they're at play in Song to Song. And we have Janet Gaynor and Charles Farrell, their relationship toxified by a woman from the city. They go to the, uh, to the verge of uh, a, a murderous meltdown, and then go into the city, the source of this toxification, and it's the city that brings them back together. Mm-hmm. So this is something immediately slightly more complicated <laughs> than merely country good, city bad. Right. And I think that same kind of complicated attitude is at work in Song to Song specifically and in Malik generally where, yes, like, there are false values being proffered in you know, the the big city of Austin and uh, you know the temptations that it holds forth, but you don't get that transformation without passing through that first. And I think time and time again, that's what I find so rich and interesting about Malik is not only that he brings these values to play, these very, very classical values, good, evil, so on and so forth, but that he has a very holistic conception of how they all interface with one another. I mean, it it comes back to, and we all know, of course, uh, Thin Red Line, you know, baby Mm -hmm. birds struggling out of an egg in the midst of a firefight, like this idea that you cannot have one without the other. And this is something that I find infinitely rich and seductive about the films is that they have such breadth that they encompass so much, literally. There's just so much fucking stuff in these recent Mm -hmm. films. And I find that very, very alluring, particularly in a film culture that tends to conflate minimalism with sophistication. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it's like oh mm-hmm. not shit fucking happened in that movie it's really good <laughs> right <laughs> some but... old romanian guy uh, ate mud for five hours <laughs> <laughs> must have been a masterpiece but he really wasn't eating the mud he was performing himself eating was it shishesco <laughs> oh the mud is shishesco <laughs> but i mean i hear what just and i agree i agree <laughs> obviously i joined in making fun of movies that 12 people see but there there's just something on the level of dialogue that and again this comes down to like what you look for in a movie i guess because like the improv you know sort of like spur of the moment things that ryan gosling comes up with or rooney mara come up with don't move me and i think sometimes they're like embarrassing and yeah stupid maybe he's trying to do that on purpose but it pulls me out in a way that i don't like as opposed yeah. to something like Tree of Life, because it's, I mean, Michael Fassbender, he's bad, but there's a lot of good about him, too. And you get to see that. That's even more true of something like Tree of Life, where Brad Pitt is like angry, abusive Texas dad, but he's also 
the wonderful and like nourishing and you know his mother isn't the only source of like goodness in the world well that's such an interesting performance that is such a weird type of mid-century american male yes even the way he stands like adjusts his pants i mean it's everything he like nails it it's it's my mother's father like to a t no mine too (laughs) straight backed Mm -hmm. uh like some military background Mm -hmm. Very like disciplinarian, but also like you know listens to Bartok records <laughs> and like weeps into his whiskey. Yeah, they, yeah, like experiences like the ecstasy of music, yeah. but like is mad about the way his son turns the page. Like all that stuff, all that stuff. It's amazing. Yeah, that is it's a amazing. like just particular identity kit that I don't even think exists anymore, <laughs> <laughs> and is expressed with incredible finesse by yeah. uh, by Brad Pitt still puzzling i'm still thinking about this what you just said nick about breadth and holism um because i think again you know it's interesting to me that i see what you're saying and i and i i i can understand why that would be a you know a compelling departure from the norm and you know an interesting impulse it's to me though that kind of gesture and and the way it feels to me in the movies actually ends up being a kind of uh I don't know. I don't know how to put this right. A kind of like will to power <laughs> over everything. A kind of like will to mastery and to to grasp the whole in a way that I actually find really disturbing and and even pernicious. And it has, you know, it goes for me to a lot of places. You know, a lot of my 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 references are more in in theater and in literature but but you know Malick's vision strikes me as extremely 19th century it's a kind of you know 19th century idealist vision I'm uh, a man of the 19th century yeah. so. <laughs> so maybe it makes sense you know in, with everything that implies I was thinking about this because it struck me that in reading over some reviews of Malick's work by critics I respect like Nick here um, you know that 19th century reference often come up and so too does the idea of Malick as a romantic and as an idealist you know capital R romantic and an idealist and so I was thinking about this because that intuitively seems right to me that that there's something you know specifically about idealist philosophy going on here right which is this 19th century philosophy that understands truth beauty and goodness to be the same thing that understands that wants to create a total picture of the world with its you know allegorical representations of worldly and godly elements um, you know that gestures towards ideal forms and the divine and you know so I I actually think that makes a lot of sense. One of the problems with idealism is also a problem that I have with a lot of Malick's films, which maybe we should just directly address, which is, you know, idealism is notoriously misogynist because in, in, and it's actually for a a deeply philosophical reason. It's because, you know, women are of the body, right? And idealism, you know, wants to, thinks about the mind as transcendent, right? And the, Mm -hmm. and the, the, the mind's grasp of the world is transcendent and women are sort of excluded from that consciousness. Also because idealism wants to separate out sex and love, which I think also Malik is interested in doing, you know, women sort of get cast as either the pure woman who is uh, the object of idealized love or the fallen woman who is, you know, the the, the Jezebel. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think that Song to Song messed with that a little bit, which I was interested in, again, in Rooney Mara's 
performance. Yeah. But in the other films, I really see that dichotomy at work. The surfeit of uh, Virgin Mary scattered through <laughs> yeah. song yeah. to song. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so I guess, again, it, it strikes me, I mean, and I think this is really interesting that what people like about Malick and what people hate about Malick are kind of the same thing. Like there's yeah. it and it sort of it I do think it gets back to this sort of worldview that is, uh, you know, extremely um, attractive and interesting to some and extremely, you know, off putting to others. I mean, the fact of the matter is, though, I've never been hugely concerned about the idea that his worldview and mine coincided. What is exciting is that he has one and yeah. has the means to express it, a unique set of means to express it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which that. is not yeah. to say, like, I, I mean, and perhaps in some respects, I'm more susceptible in my own personal philosophy to that worldview than others but the idea that like oh this is something i can subscribe to Mm -hmm. completely that's never really entered into the consideration so much as this is an individual who is very locked into Mm -hmm. a conception of the world Mm -hmm. and has found a toolkit an ever-developing toolkit through which to express that Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. but nick to do something (laughs) amy taubin would do you do not like Peter Greenaway. You find you're totally allergic to that man. And he does exactly the same thing Mr. Malik is doing. In that, I mean, you know. We, we have to talk about Peter Greenaway. <laughs> I'm afraid. I'm afraid that we do. See, I knew it was going to get ugly somewhere. So, I mean, I'm, I'm afraid that we. Because you know, it's, you know, like. I mean, maybe it's a concern of the actual stuff that Peter Greenaway puts into the frame as opposed to what Terrence Malick is putting into the frame. But he really, it's like, if you want to sort of isolate it down, it's like Peter Greenway is taking these very, literally putting Jacobite theater on film with something like Baby Masson or or other sort of like, I mean, yeah, just injecting these aesthetics into film that traditionally don't get injected into film that are far earlier in European history. I guess he's great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, can't you can't do that. You can't do that. I guess I guess I was wrong. <laughs> oh, oh no fair, no fair. <laughs> bullshit. Come on. I mean, this is something. This is something that I I do think is worth addressing because Violet, I think you used the phrase earlier that the movies didn't give you. I'm paraphrasing badly, but that it, they weren't what you were looking for in terms of character and so on and so forth. And this is something I think is perhaps worth talking about in terms of how Malick, certainly with the last few films, is discussed. I think I agree with you up to a point that this is not a mode that I am interested in seeing all the time. Mm-hmm. But there is sometimes a tone to the critical conversation such as it is around Malik that seems so threatened as though there's like a yes. genuine sense mm. that if we don't hold the line, every mm. movie is going to turn into these movies. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, huh. I have to say, like, as much as I don't enjoy actually watching these films... I hate even more reading pans of them. I mean, this because is... they're just so. Usually, what it is is that it's like this old white man got to do whatever he wanted, and it's that is just okay, sure. But there's like, it's a really you're gonna write like 800 words on that but alone. I, I mean, this is this is I think been sort of a reflexive tone for mm. 
writing about difficult films which are somewhat at least in the narrative vein since forever i mean yeah. you can look at you know any you know if moses and Aaron got <laughs> like a theatrical release i'm sure that there are at least a few write-ups which take the take the attitude like we really need to preserve narrative <laughs> film from this threatening mm-hmm. element that might corrupt it whereas in every case like these are literally the only instances of this kind of film that mm-hmm. are out there. So you don't have to That's like true. them. What do you mean? What do you mean by that? Like, like in ma- in mainstream American film? In ma- that is okay. that are going okay. to be seen by most people. Let's say. I mean, this is, but this is also interesting, right? So if you you know put Malik in the mainstream American film category, right? The films look, you know, radical and, and mm-hmm. transgressive in all these ways. Mm-hmm. And, and it, I mean, if you put them in another category, they don't, of course, sure. right? They look much well, more conventional in certain in certain regards. I, I'm not certain that I no? agree with that. Okay. I mean... Well, no, if you that, put that, them in exper- if you put experimental, experimental film, yeah. yeah, if you just call it experimental film, right? And you say, you know, look, there are lots of avant-garde experiments with, you know, radically suspending narrative and... Mm-hmm. You know, then it, then they look different, right? They look different. They still don't look like your average run of experimental films. Okay, I don't think you, I don't think you could enough. slot could, them into like Ann Arbor and I, nobody I would bat an eyelash. Because the thing, I mean, and again, I'm sorry, I have to bring up his name, Peter Greenaway. The problem, like, because what? Because <laughs> whenever you know, along back when he would actually say new things in interviews, this is probably an interview from 1983. I'm thinking of. He was talking about like you know, no one really tries to inject. He wants to do a popular narrative. Like a, mm-hmm. a, but experimental and like bringing experimentation into popular narratives that is utterly fertile because really no one is doing that. I mean, there are certain now with I guess they're like poptivist experimental filmmakers who sort of try and do that, but really more what they do is sort of like bring in these figures. Who do you have in mind? Ryan Treecarton is one. He's sort of like a poptivist experimental filmmaker. Yeah, if that, if that's this is a new genre I'm going to invent and then like die by, <laughs> sure, why not? Why not? Just, that's interesting. See that book no. deal rolling in? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I feel like this is, this is a consequential distinction for me because if I go in thinking that I'm going to see like Vanilla Sky, I'm like much more receptive to what he's doing mm-hmm. than if I go in thinking, you know, or something like that. Like, what I don't did know. that come from? She went to, she went to a used bookstore and there were 30 copies of that DVD there. I was, just trying to think, I was trying to think, I was trying to think of like, what would be like the I swear to God, go I just to want to talk about Vanilla Sky. Okay. <laughs> okay, no one's going to back me up here. No one does. I mean, basically, if I go in thinking, oh, this is a big budget American movie with a bunch of Hollywood stars in it, I'm actually much more receptive to it than if I go in thinking this is this is art house. Mm-hmm. Then, it, you know, and then I'm like, what is this shitty script doing? And what are these cliched portrayals doing? Whereas, whereas if I look at it from the angle of Hollywood film, I'm just more sympathetic to it. That's that's my experience. So you like to Hollywoodize the avant-garde? <laughs> <is> the- <laughs> I mean, or, or yeah, or because, I guess... Because let's face it, like, some of the most interesting... So let's think of some... So, like, Busby Berkeley. Busby Berkeley, there are moments that are utterly avant-garde in those musicals. The opening number of, like, 42nd Street is crazy. Well, Michael Bay exists. I mean, if we're talking about, like... 
multiplex avant-garde there's there's no finer practitioner yes and some people might it's say like a, like a burroughs-esque <laughs> like cut and paste yeah going yeah, on yeah. so film. there so obviously there, so it doesn't like it doesn't exist it's, it's, it's like but there aren't like a ton of those people walking around but say. is that what you're saying it, uh, but it but i'm actually trying to understand what you mean when you say nobody else is doing this like is that what you're saying are you calling malik a multiplex avant-gardist I would say that he's as near a thing as we have to it. I would say okay. that his bankability has been sorely tested yeah. in recent years. But I mean, circa 1998, The Thin Red Line, which I saw as a, I believe, junior in high school, it was trotted out with fanfare, if not equal to, then on something like the same standing of... Uh, Saving Private right, Ryan, which right, came yeah, out the same that. year, right, right. and it's been uh, somebody somebody threw out the Kanye West. As uh, soon as they like you, make them unlike you. With regards to Malik, <laughs> like he's certainly drifted far afield from yeah, that yeah. that level of uh, mainstream recognition. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. mean, I think Tree of Life was probably the last moment mm-hmm. when. He was a viable artist Mm -hmm. in that way. (laughs) Mm -hmm. However, and this is something that perhaps bears discussing, he is still able to get A-listers a plenty. I want to talk about this, yes. Which, and as as our resident octing (laughs) expert, Uh I mean, and of course this has no bearing on the final results, but one has to assume that these are very enjoyable films for actors to Mm -hmm. make. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean they're, necessarily entertaining for people to watch Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i happen to think they are Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i mean even as like the box office grows more and more dismal with each successive uh (laughs) successive (laughs) outing outing (laughs) people seem to want to make these movies yeah it is it is interesting it is interesting i mean to a degree they don't want to do that with like coppola right right people of a similar vintage and similar stature they are not drawing similar casts. Yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point. It's really interesting. I mean, so maybe now is the time to talk about the performances and the use of improvisation and all that. So, I mean, I, you know, I don't, I don't know too much of the like backstage gossip about, about the way that he actually does this or what he's supposed to do to get these performances out of people. You know, the thing, the improvisation is this really, you know, interesting technique that, uh, of course, is an extremely long history. You could like trace it back to Comedia Dollarty and all that. Yeah, you could trace it back to UCB. Invented. Classic, classic shit. Classic shit we're talking about here. Um, Whose line is it anyway? Exactly. 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 This is real. You know, this is like American classic. Um, well, okay, but but you know, gets revived in uh, you know post Stanislavski, right? Mm-hmm. As this rehearsal room tactic, you know, to spark more authentic, spontaneous performances, right? And then you know, gets used in various ways by the twenty, the you know, the the great twentieth century acting teachers that from which, you know, mainstream American acting descends. You know, so the thing about improvisation that I uh, find interesting and that I'm certainly not the first person to say this is that, you know, it's supposed to be this, um, you know, avenue 
to these spontaneous, you know, authentic reactions to, you know, surprising developments and revelations that you wouldn't have if you were channeling a script or, you know, more constrained. But actually, and as someone who, who is a former uh, acting student has done a lot of improvisation in my time, you know, in fact, what often happens is that because it's really hard to do it well and it's really kind of terrifying, um, actors often end up uh, falling back on, you know, stock characters or yep. cliched poses or, you know, you or know, whatever pleases the audience. Right. Or whatever pleases the audience or right. Or, or, you know, standards, sort of like stock narratives of all yeah. kinds. Right. So that that's often what ends up happening in improvisation is that rather than liberating, it ends up being this, you know, extremely um, constraining force because you're trying to trying to come up with something good on the spot. And it's yeah. so scary and all this stuff, you know, so that's sort of what I see in, in a lot of these, you know, improvisations in the films or scenes that appear to be improvised in the films is that I feel like I'm being told that this is, you know, a spontaneous expression of joy. But what I see is a kind of, uh, you know, a repetition of a cliched gesture that I know to signify joy in some way or mm -hmm. to signify spontaneity. You know, so it's an interesting, you know, it's an interesting uh, problem. Yeah, because that's that's what it comes back to a lot for me, too. And it just that was sort of what I was getting at with the dialogue problem where it's like, it's supposed to be very simplistic, but it's so simplistic that it just takes me out. And it's like, okay, so I get maybe this isn't really happening. Maybe none of this is really happening. But I could be spending time with something that is digging in in a way that is interesting. And this is, and fundamentally, it's just repeating these, what seems to me, these very old tropes and not really like adding much to them, if at all. There's uh, one, of, one of Rooney Mara's. Uh voiceover lines and, and song to song, I think maybe summarizes some of the responses mm -hmm. that uh, the dialogue gets. I think it's something along this lines of, uh, I never knew I had a soul. I thought the word was embarrassing. Ugh. And I think that that very simplicity is for a lot of people embarrassing. Yeah. Cause I, and I, I mean, for my part, I don't understand it. The the like much much derided and mocked mother father like are your mother and father not important to you? Do okay, you not but... think about them? Is this not at the very core of who you are as a person? <laughs> wait, wait. Do you not do you not fret about if you are a good person, if you are living life as you want to? Mm -hmm. I don't understand the sort of fundamental cringe huh. that some people get and but those more are the than most, that, yeah. I'm utterly baffled by charges of pretension because I oh, don't it's not think pretentious. I don't think you could get any more. I mean, you're a level above baby talk. Yeah, that's at the time. thing. That's mm -hmm. the thing because mm -hmm. again, that's what gets like again, right. like I said, that's what irritates me about the anti-male stance is that it's it's like oh, this is so pretentious. I'm like, what are you talking about? I see. I understand that charge a little bit because it's it's about the combination. It's not about the baby talk. It's about the combination of the baby talk with these maximalist, grandiose images, right? That's what I. That's what I think people are saying. Sure. I'm not sure I agree with it, but I think that's why. It yeah, I know, and it's yeah, yeah, and, and I, I, I mean, disagree. I, I, fi <laughs> I find I find the tension between that simplicity and that grandiosity very appealing. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's what attracts me to something like Voyage of Time. Or even the placement of the like forty minute sequence of like the creation of the universe in Tree of Life, yeah. because a mother says, you know, she wonders why did my son have to die, 
and then you see the creation of the universe. And it's so true. And I mean, uh, uh, Voyage of Time, is, it, there's something just so... I mean, that that movie, I was like on the verge of tear the entire time I saw it at uh, Toronto because it was just... Those images are so beautiful. And what is it? it is expressing... Obviously, he's sort of coming from this, I guess, progressive Christian, you know, like intelligent design, let's say. But it's just so moving to me to see these beautiful images of earth and nature and biology and life and just be like isn't it just amazing that we're here at all and I say that as a completely secular person and just to be express wonder at that and just be like huh and just be like why you know why do bad things all that stuff is like so moving to me and I don't understand why more people don't stop and wonder that and like maybe the planet wouldn't be a polluted shithole if more people did that but alas. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> so as to the, the like the ecological thing is, is actually kind of interesting to me because I tend to think that part of the problem with our views of nature are that we maintain this kind of, you know, holistic blue planet, wonder, magic, um, you know, divine view of it rather than understanding it's, you know, enmeshment with with life and everything. Again, but, again I think that but he addresses that in Voyage of Time. Oh, which I haven't seen, so I can't speak to okay. that. Because I think I don't I mean, maybe you would back me up, but I think the images of like people being horrible to each other or like horrible shit people do to each other yeah. on that really bad digital that is inserted between these like utterly amazing like half CGI, half like National Geographic footage of like a volcano forming an island yeah. sort of addresses that. But Well, I mean, I wanted to briefly shuttle back to that the dino digression oh, yes. in, in Tree of Life. And I, I think maybe this also loops back a little to the baby talk maximalist <laughs> idea because that's something I know a lot of people upon seeing and subsequently have been baffled by. And when I saw the movie when it came out or shortly before it came out, nothing could have seemed more natural to me because that is my memory of how I thought as a little kid. Yeah. Like I think a lot of children do have that sort of maximalist thing mm -hmm. hardwired into them where they are trying to figure out okay where exactly you know where do i fit into this entire thing and you're also of course acquiring this information for the first time you're learning about the crustaceous era for yeah. the first time cretaceous cretaceous uh <laughs> you're thinking about your small body and what that looks like in comparison to a plesiosaur or what it would look like in comparison those are the sort of those are the sort of flights that uh, at least my mind went on hmm. quite naturally as a child and i don't know that i'd ever seen a movie make that kind of lateral leap mm -hmm. so beautifully as that hmm. does hmm. yeah and i not for one second did I think, well, why is this happening? Mm -hmm. Like, no, that mm -hmm. that's completely in keeping with my memory of how I thought when I was learning to think. Mm, yeah. Or just even that you see the mass extinction event, because that's something for a little mind to wrap around. It's quite a thing for a little mind to wrap around. And like how tragic and, and understanding all the implications of that. It's, it's heavy for a kid, mm -hmm. I think. So it sounds like you're saying that there is something 
intrinsically and to you guys appealingly childlike about this vision? Not childish, childlike, like in the good way. I would say it is... Childlike is not precisely the phrasing that I would use. Almost. See, this is where I get really tense, right? When words like pure come into the conversation. Exactly. No, I know. I mean, it's like this very... Yeah, I don't want to say childlike or and I don't want to say naive either. I think part of the part of what I find fascinating and is is Malik seems on paper like somebody I should hate. All of the sort of ingrained ideas of what makes good film art that I have, you know, Claude Chabrol's little themes, mm-hmm. uh, you know, white elephant art versus termite mm-hmm, art. Mm-hmm. Like it's in complete violation mm-hmm, mm-hmm of a lot of things that I basically believe to be true. Yeah. However, however, the movies overwhelm my good sense of what constitutes a proper film, and that is very exciting to me. As to the issue of purity, well, it's certainly at work in Song to Song, which ends with a baptismal image. Totally, totally. But again... It all comes back to this sort of view of things in the round, like that that purity, it's worth very little without the taint that comes mm-hmm. before it. Yeah. Um, I found myself thinking a lot about, you know, the, you know, the song Simple Gifts, uh, uh-huh. adapted by uh-huh. Aaron Copeland, and the, the turning, turning, we come, come round right. Yeah. Um, I was sort of echoing through my head throughout. Well, that's really nice. I mean, it sounds like like I, when I true think, simplicity yeah, is gained yeah. to bow and to bend, we, we shan't be ashamed. ashamed. <laughs> <laughs> I went to a you know progressive uh, Quaker influenced elementary oh, school. Really? Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, wow! So, yeah. <laughs> is that no? Is that the, that is Quakers? Right? Shaker, Shaker, I believe. Shaker sorry, the ones Shaker. who don't fuck. The other one, yeah, the other one. <laughs> it's Shakers. It's so Shakers. there's two of them left. <laughs> My yeah, elementary but... school wasn't shaker influenced. Uh, I regret. They were fucking left and right in there. <laughs> I regret to inform you. Yeah, I mean, so okay, so again, I feel like we're we're circling around, you know, some twirling, you might twirling, say. you Ooh. might say, turning <laughs> around, you know, what seemed to be the crux of this sort of uh, divide, right? Which is, you know. It seems to me, you know, so so it seems clear, and you just admitted it that that you know Malik violates a lot of tenets of good taste, Mm -hmm. right? And whether you're sympathetic to that or not seems to, I mean, in from listening to you guys talk, to me it seems like, and from other conversations I've had with people, film critics about about Malik, it seems like it comes down to how you respond to the image, Mm -hmm. like how you respond to cinematic imagery and whether you are... I don't I'm not sure I want to say willing to be overtaken or 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 just just uh, compelled by the wonder of the cinematic image in some sort of fundamental way or or whether your interest in film art comes through different quarters or which which I would say personally you know that that I tend to be more interested in in other things that are good that go on in film which I guess sounds like heresy to a certain you know to some well to some people right I mean it's supposed to be all about the image but yeah I wonder how you guys would respond to that. I mean, I am very, very much in this for anything that can stimulate the pleasure principle, which is not just to say pretty pictures, but Mm -hmm. anything which can make, as Poirot would say, the little gray cells (laughs) 
work a little bit, right. anything that can present multiple opposing ideas at one and the same time, mm -hmm. anything that can collide beauty and ugliness. Violet mentioned these utterly crazy format shifts mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. Voyage of Time where you go from like what looks like a circa... 2000 like pin cam yes this thing has like 16 pixels of resolution to, to like 70 millimeter like wide gauge clarity and it comes down to that really like mm. these films give me pleasure mm -hmm. i mean not always mm -hmm. they're not always scratching me behind the ears but i am pleased to <laughs> buy them yeah and yeah i do i do want that ravishment right. i really do right. um I, yeah, I'm a dumb guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, okay, so we definitely do. Before we we, we have to talk about gender in, yeah. in these films, right? This of is course. super important. I mean, I the, mean, I'd be dumb if I were a woman too. I, the same I'm brain fully, fully, were understood, transferred. Understood. <laughs> understood. Understood. I'd be a dumb broad. <laughs> The you would be a great. Too, with you Nick. would be a great dumb broad, Nick. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think, I think that's really interesting. So, on some level, it becomes about you know as much as as much as we can and are discussing the intricacies of his artistic vision and the various ideologies that inhere therein. Right? Mm -hmm. There is, on some level, uh, it's a question of uh, personal preference. It's like, yeah. do you respond to this? You know, particularly. Uh, striking an individual vision or are you repelled by it for some reason well i mean i will say in hearing you talk you there's not the bad faith that is so often <laughs> yeah. present thank you <laughs> i mean so often in the dismissals of malik there's like this isn't even worth grappling with right like there is not even like i mean i was just utterly flabbergasted in seeing some of the responses to song to song how many of them had this sort of underlying message of like please quit like ac mm -hmm. actively trying to like yeah. wish this mm -hmm. film out of existence wow. and As again they never seen a bad movie or yeah. a movie they didn't like <laughs> before and again i can wholly understand as you do not responding to the films or finding that something in their worldview you know rubs you the wrong way i can wholly understand that but just to like out of hand yeah shove them away and not even put in the work to figure out yeah what i mean what's going on yeah. there and yeah I mean, I yeah, have, I have, I, I, I have long battled a inability to really love the films of Jean-Luc Godard, but like, mm -hmm. I'm willing to bump my head against <laughs> right, them for right. as long as, you know, as long as I'm in this world, right. because right. you okay. owe something of right. that, of right. that density and of that right. magnitude, at least a little of your time, I think. And so I think few that's things, right. I yeah. think that's right. And so, so few things truly require that or ask that of you. Yeah. So again, it's that's like, right. if you, can I also come out as like, a not a um, Godard lover? <laughs> I will say, yeah, it's like, it's fine. You can respect the effort. Yeah. And try because and grab I am them. a Godard lover. Oh, no. <laughs> <Shocking>. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, so so. No misogyny there. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Oh, I mean, it's, it's, totally. it's Oh, it's it's actually uh, misandry. It's it's a hatred of all humanity. No, really. no, it's misogyny. It's, <laughs> thank you. No, of course it's misogyny. Of course. I mean, no, I'm not a. I'm not a. I'm not a passionate declarer of, of okay. love. We don't have good to art. get into that. We don't have to get into that. Um, <laughs> that could uh, Peter Green away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Listen, listen, listen. Zed and Two Knots, I fucking love that movie. Uh, Billy Van Architect, pretty good. Uh, great, pretty good. But I, I do think we have to talk about the portrayals of women. And, yes. And these films okay, and what, I you know. Okay, because I didn't even, I, I'm going to, like, there was a point where I hadn't really seen Terrence Malick, and so I went through all the films, and I really just hit this roadblock with the new world. Yeah. And I just like, I was like, what is this? And I mean, we, you know, you had mentioned how, you know, um, the thin red line was sort of pit- bizarrely pitted against uh, Saving, Saving Private Ryan, Ryan right. just because it was a war movie that about World War II, the most written about historical event of all time. It's just, you know, it, 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 it I feel like he can do certain things with, I guess male characters that he's just like not interested in doing with female characters, mm-hmm. except for a certain extent in Song to Song, where I was like, again, I was sort of like, this is the most complex mm-hmm. female character mm-hmm. probably since, oh, what's her face in? Uh, Sissy Spacek. Sissy Spacek. No. Yeah. Sissy, oh, that's yeah, that. yeah, yeah. 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 In Badlands. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I think it's interesting, right? So To the Wonder seems like the most, the starkest counterexample to me, mm-hmm. um, I guess for semi-obvious reasons. Um, well, I mean, To the Wonder... Like Ben Affleck is sort right. of the structuring absence right. in that movie. Right. Yeah. He's right. an absolute right. sucking void at yeah. the right. middle of the movie. Well, he, right. cut, totally. he clearly cut him out of the movie. Like we have, right. can, I mean, maybe we could, I mean, another thing that I absolutely insist on talking about is how these films are edited. Mm. Because I the shooting ratio on Badlands was like normal. And then everything after that is like, 34 to 1 ratio, mm, mm. 50 to 1 ratio. Like mm. song to song, he was shooting that in 2012. How many hours of footage is that? Of there is that? Right. Like, we well, don't know. Right. Without getting away from the, the gender issue, I, I was thinking about this. It is a dangerous method. And frankly, yes. I am almost certainly giving the films more credit than they're due because I don't believe that somebody with that approach could have a batting average of a thousand. Right. I thought about this having rewatched Jungle Fever like mm-hmm. last week, which I think is a truly awful movie. <laughs> However, I find that looking at what I think are successful Spike Lee films and what I think are unsuccessful Spike Lee films, they're often not that terribly far apart in terms of the completely out there chances that they take. Yes. And sometimes that coalesces and sometimes It's him saying, No, I'm gonna say I actually really like Jungle Fever up until that moment. There are wonderful things in it. <laughs> there are some really good things yeah. about that movie. Let's not uh, let's not dismiss it out of hand. Yeah. Uh, I mean it should be said that the Malik method is very much a don't try this at home one. But <laughs> this is a lengthy digression from where you were well, going. Well, no, I mean, we, I guess it's, I, I wonder if, if, you know, part of the reason it's hard, it is hard to talk about it is because you have, it's hard to talk about specifically the female performances or the way he portrays women without talking about his understandings of character in general and what he mm-hmm. does with actors in general. So it does, it does seem germane to me. I mean, I mean, with regards to, to the wonder, like, his 
indifference and distaste to male leads to the point of rendering them almost completely transparent yeah as he does there i mean yeah affleck is basically a vessel for subjective gaze in that movie you never hear his name yeah (laughs) right and he is almost completely a man without qualities i mean insofar as we can tell he has like an epa job and is possibly (laughs) helping to clean up waterways in central texas or actually sorry bartlesville oklahoma uh but like yeah however however uh hoidenish and strange his women are i'd never thought of him as particularly celebrating the masculine. No, that's true. That's true. I mean, maybe Knight of Cups is, I guess, a better example. I guess guess the the, the reason that I think of To the Wonder is that there does seem to be, I guess, you know, whereas the decision to make Affleck or to make that character the structuring absence. He's a um, loaf of bread. Right. A loaf of bread, (laughs) right, whatever. The decision to make, the decision to make him that seemed deliberate and, you know, part of the, the whole formation of the movie. Whereas there seemed to be an effort to, and yet an inability to conceptualize a complex consciousness in the female character. Mm-hmm. So so I, I saw him trying for it and totally failing. Yeah. In, and, um, and that, in a way, was much more disturbing. So I think, you know, I think that that film was really hard for me because it seems like these actors are, I mean, if not mistreated, kind of not not well served by this film. But but I think that there's a longer there's something more broad that we can say about what's going on with the lack of female consciousness that that extends um, beyond that film. Because because again, it's just like, this is all that I've heard, where it's just, you know, they show up on set, Malik is just like, go. And he'll sometimes play music that you hear in the film to establish a mood on set, but he's really not directing them. Oh in a no! Classic- this is uh, at the uh, at the South by Southwest panel at <laughs> which the Sasquatch esque Malik made a rare public appearance. He talked at some length about the methodology, which is apparently mm-hmm. to return to Murnau, very close to a silent film director's mm-hmm. methodology, where mm-hmm. he's off camera. Uh-huh muttering instructions and then i think uh there was a widely circulated uh piece around the time of the release of knight of cups from one of the bit players i forget who, it's like one of the state guys who's in the movie who's possibly will Lennon, who was talking yeah. about being like handed a couple of like crumpled mm-hmm. notes with some cryptic instructions on them right so we, I mean, we do have some reportage mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. slipped out. Sure. But it's the lengthiest kind of explanation that I have heard from Malik himself is that he is sort of yeah. off to the side, mm-hmm. offering well, instruction, mm-hmm. and then that is acted upon. Mm-hmm. I've also heard that he really doesn't know what he wants until he shows up on set and is like, do it like this prop person and the prop person's like uh you should have told me do it like this jack fisk you mean (laughs) yes um i mean yeah go ahead oh no i just gonna say so you know and if you have really if you have actors who can do that kind of thing like who can you know jump in and be interesting and you know be alive and Mm -hmm. then you know that can be really exciting and there were some moments in song to song where i did find that exciting you know Mm -hmm. i'm i i think rooney mara is a is a really 
interesting actor and I think she does a lot of she makes some interesting choices in that film and and there were moments that that felt really alive and surprising and when you have actors when you cast actors who can't do that I mean it's it's actually it's kind of terrible like it's really you're really setting them up to fail I think that's there's like a there's some ethical problems there (laughs) like it's actually kind of it's kind of bad I think what he does to Ben Affleck and whatever her name is I I seem to recall Kent writing about the movie and saying he felt bad for her while watching it is this a good time to talk about Kilmer? Or? Oh, God, ah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Always a good time. Yeah. You might put yeah. a new memory card in. <laughs> I, I mean, I, the question for me in, in Song to Song and, and Kilmer's uh, appearance really crystallized this is, you know, and I guess I had this question with Knight of Cups too. Was when is he kidding? Like when is when is this? When is when am I supposed to find this absurd? And when am I supposed to take this seriously? Yeah. Um, How do you mean? Well, so I mean, in Song to Song, when Val Kilmer shows up being ridiculous, wielding a chainsaw, right, wielding a yeah. chainsaw you know, I become aware that um, there's some irony at work here, and that we understand that 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 you know this this music scene, uh, t- you know, to which uh, she aspires is mm-hmm. you know filled with these you know kind of pathetic ridiculous figures you know but then they're also for patty smith right well and then exactly and then there's patty smith then patty smith shows up who's supposed to who seems you know this like shamanic you know wise woman presence whose dialogue closely echoes that of the prostitute that michael fassbender that's uh, right and that's uh, right and Natalie Portman. Yes. <laughs> oh, I always get edit, those two mixed edit, up. That edit. Michael Fassbender and Natalie Portman have uh, brought home right. for a romp. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, other than uh, other than the very sagacious Patty Smith. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I guess so. So then it's like I I and I I found this kind of compelling about the film. Then there are all these other moments where I'm not sure. Am I f- supposed to find this ridiculous or not? Am I supposed to find, um, you know, uh, the the so and so's faux philosophical musings ridiculous or moving? You know. He's a very funny guy. Yeah. And that's very, very evident in Badlands, which is just right. chock very a block funny. with screamingly funny lines. Hear yeah. the news, Kit? It's in all the papers. Right. You've been fired. <laughs> 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 and it still slips out, it's you know, funny. quite a bit. I yeah. mean, I forget the, I think it's Nick Offerman who has the tossed off line in the background in Night of Cups. Uh, Living my life's like call on duty, playing Call of Duty on easy, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> or the like segways uh, whisking by. That was funny. <laughs> right, that was funny. Oh my god, that, that was fucking funny. Killed me. But then, so then, do, and it, the, I mean, this is the thing that kills me, and I, I sound like I'm fetishistically obsessed with Malik detractors because I am, but that <laughs> yeah. is constantly. Constant like banging on about how humorless he is by literally the least funny people you've ever <laughs> read in your entire life. <laughs> like people who could yeah. not turn a witticism oh. with a fucking gun to their head. Oh no, I have to say, that's always my favorite thing when somebody who is like deathly unfunny tells a joke and then I don't laugh and they're like, oh, you don't have a sense of humor? And it's like, right. oh, I no, I, that's no, the problem, I do. I do. I do Actually, sorry, sir. An exquisite one. <laughs> So, but did you have this experience with watching the film where, where suddenly, I mean, and I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm actually, 
not saying this is a bad thing. Yeah. I thought this was interesting that suddenly I started to listen to, you know, the voiceovers in a different way. And I started mm-hmm. to hear this kind of banal dialogue in a different way. And suddenly I was wondering if the inanity was being framed for me, you know, yeah. and, and self-consciously. And that is something that I did not find into the wonder at all. Personally. Well, um, I mean, that's yeah. certainly, it's certainly very, very there with the SpaceX like voiceover where yeah oh absolutely absolutely the 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 grammar that is being used is entirely sort of lifted uh, verbatim from movie magazines and true life romance stories Mm -hmm. linda manz's voiceover in days of heaven a film which uh, gives a special thanks to red fox and its closing credits (laughs) by the way is absolutely hysterical maybe she'd meet a character yeah, uh. <laughs> and those are my and those are my favorite Malik films precisely for that reason because yeah. I feel like you know it's it's there there's a self consciousness there that I find really fun. I don't think it's ever fully disappeared. Mm. I think there is certainly a solemnity that is settled in. I mean, Jesus Christ, in Thin Red Line, Woody Harrelson blows his butt up. <laughs> it's true, <laughs> and repeatedly says, "I blew my butt up." Yeah. <laughs> that's a good point it's it's always present not into the you... wonder oh my god there's no humor that's in that movie. true that's true maybe the, maybe i, that's I haven't i haven't seen it recently <laughs> maybe the, yeah. and i think i think previous to song to song not that you know they've all been greeted by unanimous hosannas but that seems to be the one that most people have a problem with mm. even those of us who are stands will sometimes perhaps say, you know, yeah, it's a tr- it's a transitional work. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I loved it when I saw it, but uh, I have not seen it recently mm-hmm. enough in order to reassess and yeah. perhaps see my folly. Again, it's, it's interesting because whether or not you're attuned to, to the humor, whether or not you're, you know, aware of... Um, becomes you know a question of another question of how receptive i think you are to the film's vision but also it's a sensibility yeah it's like i think david lynch has a very i don't want to say similar sense of humor but he he cannot he can make turn these little funny observations or these insertions of like the segue the two segues in a park where you should probably walking uh he can make that funny right and i don't know if everyone finds that stuff funny but, well, but you know. again, I guess it's it's the it's the combination of that with the overt philosophical musings, mm-hmm. right, and the maximalist imagery, mm-hmm. right. That seems to it seems to people seem to be, and I, I count myself sometimes among them. Those two things overwhelm any sense that there could be irony or or you know playfulness or irony. Yeah. I'm not certain about. Yeah, but playfulness. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, well, the irony. I mean, I mean, the Val Kilmer. That there's some irony there. <laughs> Come I think. On. I think actually, at in 2000 and well, that Not would be 2012. <laughs> when you point a camera at Val Kilmer today, irony just yeah. is there. Yeah. <laughs> and also, can I say, just putting Christian, like making Christian Bale be a comedy writer. That's some great stuff. That's funny. That's that is. Can you imagine him? Can you imagine? But but the, I mean, obviously there are people who in comedy who are like super serious and like awful to be around. But like, can you imagine him just like sitting in front of a word document, being like, "How do I make this fart joke better? What do I do?" But well, we have to like like Malik himself. We have run far over. Okay. Well, and we'll and we clean it up to, in the editing. We're we have to. Uh, 
<laughs> we have to go uh, do some bird watching now. I actually, we I've have to do go some twirling. Twirling, yeah. twirling, some yeah. desperate. <laughs> Skirt uh, twirling. And then wonder. Twirling. I've got to jump and, and put my a whole body around a man. That's just what <laughs> I've got to do. I, I myself will be at an Episcopalian service. <laughs> And then I'm going to watch uh, some UT football. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't even talk about the great touchback no, scene. Oh, my God. So Next funny. week. Next, Next week. Part, Stay tuned. Part two of 15. How cool is it, though, that we could have this much palaver about a living filmmaker? Yeah. Exactly. It's great. It's great. So great. before we end, as we always do, it would be great if we could say a film that we saw recently that we liked because I have been very busy i have not had a ton of time to see stuff so i'll mention two films very quickly one i saw a little while ago which is called brothers of the night it is a very amazing uh, hybrid documentary where it is about these men from bulgaria who go to vienna uh looking for work and basically they can't find work and they just go into sex work so they're gay for pay prostitutes and this documentary is comprised of like interviews with them, just sort of talking at the, the little what, or maybe maybe it's real, maybe it's not. I will say the entire film looks like Corel, Fassbender's Corel. It is shot the exact same way with like these amazing color gels. And there are also these sort of like staged moments where, you know, they're by the docks wearing a sailor outfit or they're, you know, getting their hair cut. And it's pretty amazing. It's a very great thing to see and um i highly recommend it if you're in new york check it out at art of the real last week actually i taught a film that i love which i imagine it's not a film that is probably remote to many uh, film comment podcast listeners but it's we're ethical uh, tropical malady which i taught to a class that I'm, I'm teaching like a senior seminar that's really about like representations of the non-human and it's also sort of about climate change and it's been really interesting and you know we were talking about it as a film that in a very interesting way refuses to allegorize the animal the animal is there as a presence that is taken seriously as an other but also as you know another with whom one can be intimate mm-hmm. um, and that's like a I think a really rich area of thinking about ecology right now and I was just struck again at how you know gentle and yet profound that film is. I will go with a movie which will be out here in New York on the 14th and which I think is uh, starting on the left coast today called All These Sleepless Nights. Yes. A docu-fiction effort by uh, Chappie Mikhail Markthek, mm-hmm. um, Polish guy whose last movie I also uh, had... Uh, a bit of fondness for called fuck for forest mm. i think there is more than a tincture of spinning winning late malik uh <laughs> in it and maybe a, a dash of uh wong kar Wai as well it is uh also about a privileged white man's journey which is of course the only legitimate subject for <laughs> art <laughs> it is about how he's trying to bone chips <laughs> Bad eyes trying to bone chicks, but he's sad and has to do loads of drugs. <laughs> um, it is, it's basically a catalog. It's, as the title says, a catalog of a year's worth of late nights. Mm-hmm. Some other material as well, but it's sort of a, just a collated 
cross section of what does somebody's what does a year in somebody's life look like if you just take every time that they're fucked up out of their gourd <laughs> and look at it <laughs> and it's just got the most like wonderful overwhelming again to speak to your point i just like to be smothered <laughs> apparently <laughs> but like it's, ladies take notes yeah. <laughs> BBWs. It's N I C K dot Pinkerton. Um, but like, it's just such a gorgeous, voluptuous, like, headphone movie. I'm an inveterate, like, head nodder at, at films. And this one just, uh, it had me in its spell. So uh, those are two that I would toss out to the fans. <laughs> I just want to say I'm so glad that we ended a podcast on Malik by sexualizing Nick. (laughs) (laughs) We did it! (laughs) Doesn't feel good when you guys do it. (laughs) Feel weird. You've been listening to the Film Comet Podcast, produced by Violet Luca and Nicholas Rapold, and edited by Michael Oatmark. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Film Comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has featured in-depth reviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com slash subscribe to purchase a digital or print subscription to the magazine. Film Comment, at the heart of film culture for over 50 years. <laughs> <laughs>